everybody. Welcome back to the flagship podcast. Well, I say welcome back because I'm assuming that you're telling your friends and enemies how great the flagship podcast is and everybody's coming back. But if you're new, welcome. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com and I am riding shotgun with the one and only Taylor Estes, managing editor of Horns247.com. We call her the five tool player T-Bone. Because her brothers used to use her basically as a punching bag. Um, but she's tough and she knows how to handle uh, our incredible, lovable, dysfunctional family at Horns 24-7. Taylor, how are you doing? Oh, Chip, I am doing great. I always love when you intro me. I always feel so tough when you say it. But, <laughs> you know, I think oh, yeah. uh, it is true. My brothers did kind of treat me like that. But I'm happy they did because I can deal with our lovable dysfunctional family at Horns 24-7. It fully prepared me for message board well, life. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm, you've said I like your dad and your brother maybe more than I like you. That's more not than true. Me, for sure, yeah. But your dad <laughs> played on the Miracle Mets. Rod Gasper, love the guy. And that's pretty cool. Having a dad who played on the Miracle Mets and you went back for the 50th uh, reunion this past summer – and your brother, Cade, unfortunately, sad for him, was drafted in the first round by the Detroit Tigers. The <laughs> yeah. Tigers have fallen on some hard times. But you're, you're from a very talented athletic family. You went to the University of Texas. You know your stuff. So let's get right into it, my friend. Yeah. I mean, we, have a, we, have a, we actually have a hot topic today. And it's going to lead into our, our featured guest on the flagship podcast this week, Brad Buckman. Uh, who was a member of that 2003 Final Four team at the University of Texas. Um, and we're going to have all kinds of interesting conversation with him because he went to Westlake. And last night, because we're recording on Tuesday, the Texas Longhorns, in front of about six people, <laughs> beat West Virginia. And West Virginia beat them by 38 on January 20th in Morgantown. It was the worst loss of the Shaka Smart era. It was one of the top five losses. What's that? Then there have been a few of those losses in the Shaka Smart era. Oh. And, I mean, top five loss all time in Texas basketball history. Jeez. It's, it, started a, it started the chalk line around Shaka, Taylor. Right. Yeah. No, you're right. Really set off the tremor of, uh-oh, this could be it for Shaka. But last night, it it was the third straight win for the Longhorns, who were playing without Jericho Sims, without Jace Fabris, who are both out indefinitely with lower back injuries, and Kamaka Hepa, who had strep throat, which opened the door for Brad Buckman's fellow Austin Westlake Mafia member, Brock Cunningham. Uh, of course, we know about Will Baker, who also comes from Westlake. He's the five-star, seven-footer. But Brock Cunningham was that dirty work guy, the the lower, um, you know, not so highly recruited guy who Shaka Smart said himself coming into the season, the best guy in practice in terms of energy and defense for us has been Brock Cunningham, and then we never saw him. Right. And it took two star two starters being injured and Kamaka Hepa being out with strep throat 
for Brock Cunningham to finally get minutes. But Taylor, in the final three minutes of that game, he came up with three of the biggest plays of the game. He had two offensive rebounds in one possession that ultimately ended with Courtney Ramey having a three-point play opportunity. And then he came down the floor and, and got a huge block. And that basically sealed the game for Texas. And I've been saying all year, where is Brock Cunningham? Yeah. I mean, you don't need five scorers on the floor. And I'll go back to 2003. You need three different scorers who score in different ways. And then I I need a rebounder and I need a dirty work guy, a facilitator, a guy who's going to go hustle, make steals, hard fouls, dive on the floor and and not shoot, but set up other teammates. Right. And I've never understood that about Shaka. He, he doesn't have defined roles, but there it was last night. Brock Cunningham showed that, you know what? Look at those plays he made. He didn't score. He got the ball back for his teammates to score, and then he had a huge defensive play that gave energy to the team. And instead of folding like they have in close games, uh, like they did against Oklahoma, like they did against Kansas, they won a close game in the final four minutes, and now here they are. They've won three in a row. They're going to go play Texas Tech this weekend, and they have NCAA tournament hopes that are now on life support. Yeah. But, oh, my gosh. You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. You know, um, in watching Brock Cunningham, it was kind of – it's kind of interesting because I listened to Shaka Smart's post-game press conference, and – um, he kind of talked a little bit about how, you know, with the injuries mounting, this is the most um, that the team has ever really fought when there's, a, you know, they're kind of not really thinking about the end goal. They're just kind of trying to piece it together right now. And it's kind of sad if you think if you hear Shaka Smart and how he was describing how this team has kind of put it together over the last three games, it was kind of left me sitting there wondering, like, why is it taking this, you know, he I said that yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, you know, he said that the team, you know, they've, they've prepared really well. And he said that right now it's easier for the guys to lose themselves in the fight when you only have eight of them. But in my opinion, Chip, it should never come down to that. You know, that's something that you would hear him say maybe at VCU, something like that, you know, something when he was the coach there, but something like that at the university of Texas, you know, you, you don't want to be in the situation to where guys are just fighting for nothing because there's nothing left in a way. And that's kind of how I took it. And, you know, with, with Shaka Smart, with the way things are going, I'm curious from your standpoint, Chip, if for some reason a miracle happens, Texas claws their way into the NCAA tournament, does that sh- save Shaka Smart's job? I mean, it's very possible because of the buyout. I mean, mm-hmm. if, look, the, it's, it's bad. I mean, Chris Del Conte got a big raise when USC tried to hire him um, this, you know, within the last six months. And he's going to earn that raise. He's already earned it. Good God. He's done more in terms of facility upgrades and almost $800 million in facility upgrades. He's doing more in two years than was done here in the previous 30. When you look at the, the magnitude and incomprehensive nature of these facility upgrades. Mm-hmm. But he's got a tough decision 
because that win over West Virginia, oh, let's say let's say they go beat Tech. That was another game, by the way, that they choked away. They were up twenty-two to six against Tech at home and in withered away. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say they go beat Tech and beat OU on the road and beat Oklahoma State and get to twenty wins, and and then have a couple of decent wins on their resume right now they have one and it happened last night mm-hmm. um it may not be enough to get in i mean even if they go three and one which would be win two of your last three regular season and then go win a big 12 tournament game that may not be enough because depending on which you know if you lose to tech is a win on the road at ou is that enough of a marquee win i mean th- th- it's hard to say if texas is even on the bubble right now but um they were firmly out of the tournament uh before last night but nonetheless like you said even even getting into the ncaa tournament and winning a game is probably not going to get the fan base back no no so they're gonna have five thousand people at their games next year while his buyout drops another 3.4 million dollars he's making 3.3 this year He's due to make 3.4 next year, 3.5 the next year, and 3.6 the next year. That's why those three years add up to 10.5 million, and that's what his buyout is. Now, could something else happen? Could he find a place soft landing? Sure. And then Del Conte is in a full-blown search. But would Chris Del Conte love it if he didn't have to pay an extra 3.4 million? Uh, in buyout money, sure, but I don't think it's enough to save Shaka at all. Last year it was. This year, I don't think it is. So I've I've been saying I think Shaka's toast, and I think he should be toast. I thought he mm-hmm. should have been toast after year two when he went eleven and twenty-two. Good God, uh, with Jared Allen on the floor. Right. Um, that was the year that Shaka lost control of the program, um, let the players run him over. And I don't think he's ever gotten that back, but I don't think it, I don't think it's enough to save Shaka, but we'll see. I mean, it, we'll see how they, we'll see how they finish. I mean, this is, this reminds me so much of last year, Taylor, where we were hearing rumblings that Royce Ham was going to transfer, Gerald Liddell was going to transfer, and then all of a sudden they started getting minutes. Yeah. And it was like, oh, Shaka's trying to keep him from transferring. And then they get on a run and win the NIT. Yeah. And and now here we are. Well, Will Baker's getting minutes. Brock Cunningham's getting minutes. Donovan Williams is getting minutes. Donovan Williams should have been getting minutes all year. I mean, it's just so frustrating to watch Texas basketball. But they won last night. Brock Cunningham should be getting on the floor for the minutes that he had last night. I mean, he had he had uh let me get the box right here in front of me. He had um, 16 minutes. Mm-hmm. He should have 16 minutes every game. Yeah. He's a good role player. He's a guy who's going to go get you defense and, and blocks and rebounds. You know, we're going to talk to Brad Bugman, but I, I think back to that 2003 team that went to the final four. James Thomas was your low post. He couldn't hit a thing from four feet. I mean, Rick Barnes used to joke that James Thomas became the school's all-time leading rebounder because he kept rebounding his own misses. <laughs> that, 
I mean, that guy had no range, but you know what? He he did dirty work for you. And then Royal Ivy. Royal Ivy didn't score. He didn't need to score. You had James Thomas patrolling the paint down low. You had Royal Ivy suffocating the other team's best perimeter player. And then you had TJ Ford, who could score, breaking people down. You had Brandon Mouton, who could shoot from anywhere and score. And you had Brad Buckman, who was a low post guy, had some range from the outside. Brian Boddicker came in off the bench, could shoot from outside, could score inside. That's all you need. You don't right. need five scores. You need three. Drives yeah. me crazy. Sorry. And you need, a, you need the Dennis Rodman out there, right? I think that's probably what you're kind of alluding to, of not just right. kind of dirty work type of guy that's going to rebound. He's going to go the extra mile, but he's not going to be taking the shots when the game's on the line, you know? And, and last night, he took a couple of bad shots. Like, I cringed. He took two three-point shots. He shouldn't do that. Right. That's not what this team needs from him. Good God. Right. They got enough idiots out there. I'm sorry. They got enough <laughs> guys out there shooting threes. Good God. Andrew Jones, you know, shoot all the threes you want. You've proven over years that you can hit threes. And Courtney Ramey right now is on fire and right. playing great. I mean, those are the two biggest reasons that Texas is still winning games. Courtney Ramey's been outstanding. He had, tw- he had uh, what, 21 last night? He had 26 yep. at K-State. I mean, he's playing great. And, and then Cunningham, just go do the dirty work. And people are listening to this going, Have you, he's terrible. He fouls. So what? He's got fouls to give. It's, he's going to yeah. play 16 minutes. It's not like you need him to be a scorer. He's not a scorer. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, between Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey, there was 43 points of Texas 67, you know, from last night's game. And honestly, Taylor, I, I'm not I, – I, I think Matt Coleman could have been developed better. Let me just put it that way. I think Ramey is the guy, and I've felt that way for a long time. I feel like Coleman takes over in the final four minutes of a close game, and I don't know what I'm getting from him. I mean, it could be it could be brilliant, or it could be the ugliest turnover you've ever ever seen. And I, I just think that Ramey and Andrew Jones, and then if one of those two aren't feeling it, then Coleman. But by God, Shaka. Coleman was his guy. He recruited Coleman over Trey Young. Trey Young's in the All-Star game in the NBA. And, you know, and I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, his dad wanted him to come to Texas. Shaka didn't even try to recruit him. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, Coleman is was the guy. And here he is. He's still here. It's up and down. Last night he was really good from the free throw line. You know, it was a good win. So, we'll we'll – We'll leave it at that because those players are working hard. They're still fighting, and and we'll see what they've got at Texas Tech this weekend. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, we'll talk to Brad Bogman. Well, so Chip, to kind of change course here a little bit, some other news has come out about the football program. We've been kind of waiting for this for a while for the Regents' uh, agenda to be posted for the upcoming meeting later in this month, but the salary figures for the some of the new Texas assistant coaches who were, um, you know, their contracts surpassed the million-dollar mark that requires the region's approval for those contracts. Those were unveiled last week, late last week, Chip. And, you know, I, I'm just kind of curious on your thoughts, both on what the regions are set to approve and some of those contract figures, which some of the numbers to me were, I, I was kind of like, what is that? You know, but but some are, you know, kind of, I think, um, manageable 
I'll say, but then also the $60 million practice facility. Give me your thoughts on, on those. Yeah. Um, and actually they're going, the regents are going to meet tomorrow and we'll vote all that stuff out by the end of business on Thursday. And it also includes their new licensing agreement with IMG Learfield and, and mentions the money uh, that the Longhorn Network, um, we'll get into that in a second, um, but uh, Mike Yersich. So what I was told is you have three coordinators, right? You have Mike Yersich, the offensive coordinator, and he got a three-year guaranteed deal at $1.7 million per year. He and then you have – Essentially is what he got. Right. He got Orlando money, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then Jay Bulware is the tight ends and special tight ends coach, special teams coordinator. He got a three-year guaranteed deal at 700000 a year. And then you got Chris Ash, who is the defensive coordinator – um, who also was fired from Rutgers last year, four games in, and is owed $8 million by Rutgers. Well, his deal is only two years guaranteed, and part of the reason, I was told, uh, two years guaranteed at 800000 per year, uh, was to improve his settlement with Rutgers. Um it sounds like Rutgers is going to pay him a lump sum as opposed to paying it out over time. Um, I'm not absolutely for sure on that. Uh, or it could, um, you know, leave it to where that third year, you know, Rutgers would pay it out over the next three years. A little bit complicated, but the reason Ash got a two-year deal uh, at 800000 was to improve his settlement with Rutgers. So, and then Coleman Hutzler got a two-year deal, which the other, I think we're going to see when the, when the other deals become public, you know, Mark Hagan, Andre Coleman, um, those are going to be two, those are going to be two-year deals. Okay. And and so, uh, Coleman Hutzler got a 600,000 a year deal, two years. And, well, he's a co-defensive coordinator, um, but he's not the coordinator coordinator. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And what are, I mean, overall, okay, so compare those numbers a little bit to last year's staff, Tom Herman's first staff at Texas. You know, um, basically the offensive coordinator, defense coordinator is kind of a wash because their payments essentially reverse uh, with Tim Beck previously making 800000 Chris Ash is going to make 800000 Mike Yersich making $1.7 million. Todd Orlando used to make $1.7 million. But I was really surprised, Chip, with the, the three-year guaranteed contract to Jay Bulware at $700,000 per year. Because you can say that he's a special teams coordinator and he has that title. But Tom Herman has already kind of discussed that special teams is not going to fall on one person's shoulder. And Texas is guaranteeing Jay Bulware $2.1 million without him proving anything. You know, we had kind of heard that he may have been on the out at OU prior to him taking the job at Texas. Um, you know, and then co-defense coordinator and linebackers coach Coleman Hutzler making 600000 last year, I believe. Um, Craig Niver, the co-defense coordinator, I think his salary was four ninety five, I believe. So they're, they're shelling out a lot more money 
to those two guys, is it money well spent or is it um, maybe a little overpriced? Yeah, and that's that's going to be determined by the success. If they have success, if they are back in the Big 12 title game, as I've said, it, to me, it's Big 12 title game or bust this right. year with, with this team, with the senior quarterback, all the talent back. I know you lost Devin DuVernay, Colin Johnson, a couple offensive linemen, but you, you've been developing the talent now. We're going into year four, and with nine starters back on defense, this team, to me, is Big 12 title game or bust. If they make it to the Big 12 title game, no one's going to think about the money. But if it falls short of that and it becomes a, you know what, I don't think this guy has it, then it's going to be, uh-oh, there's, look at all this potential buyout money that Texas might have to pay even if these guys aren't here. Right, yeah. So we, I, that's that question will be determined in 2020. I like this staff. I've said the coordinator hires are the most important. I like Yersich. I like Mike Yersich as the OC. I think he's taking charge. I think he's going to just do what he knows is successful. And he'll take a lot of stuff off of the plate for Tom Herman, freeing him up. And then I think Chris Ash is... Look, he won a national championship in Ohio State. No one, no one wants to hear this, and I don't know that Herman handled it right. He hired a staff at that going to be the head coach at Houston that was willing to go to Houston. Right. And now he's at Texas, and he can hire guys who helped win a national championship as the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. He couldn't hire Chris Ash at Houston. Chris Ash wasn't going to come. Right. Chris, he couldn't pay him. He wasn't going to come. It, this happens. Nick Saban, you know, changed out coordinators after year one at Alabama. Dabo Swinney changed out his offensive and defensive coordinator by year two at Clemson. So it happens. We'll see how well Tom Herman picked. I think he picked well, but we shall see. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, with the $60 million practice facility, this was kind of a something that was thrown into the mix. It's a rowing, basketball and rowing training facility. Um, it's, I believe it's 75,000 square feet is what you reported. It's set to be completed June 2022. And rowing currently does not have its own training facility. Um, you know, and then basketball obviously is losing theirs with uh, when the Irwin Center is eventually demolished for the Dell University Medical Center there, Chip. What was your take in getting those figures of this new training facility that Texas will be building by 2022? Well, I think this is an unbelievable uh, show of faith um, to to Chris Del Conte's fundraising ability. It used to be, Taylor, that you had to have a certain amount of money raised already before you could start on a project. The right. regents you know, would say, okay, do we have 10 million? Okay, if we have 10 million towards 50 million, we can do that. Well, Del Conte's raised so much money for this 800 million, 760 million. And obviously the basketball arena is being funded by a third party. So take 388 million off the off the board, but he's raised so much money that they are they're greenlighting this this basketball and rowing practice facility. Um, based on 
his ability to raise money thus far. And that's that's amazing because look, they got no replacement costs from the university when that medical school was rammed down the athletics complex. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, we got probably people listening to this podcast right now who work at the Dell UT Medical School Medical Center and think it's the greatest thing in the world. I can just tell you at Alabama or Notre Dame, there's no way, no how a medical school is getting rammed right in the middle of the athletics complex. Right. And that, that, that medical school should have been put in East Austin because we as taxpayers footed the bill for $350 million for that thing. And we were told it was going to go for indigent care. It was going to go for people who couldn't afford health care. And it was going to be this great medical school that looked out for those who couldn't look out for themselves. It has not been that at all. It's been a absolute laboratory for Seton to work on its cyber knife, which is great. It helps, you know, trying to trying to beat cancer. But it's not at all what we as taxpayers approved. That's why I'm like disgusted. And Brackenridge is now going to be turned into a high rise with shopping center underneath it. Remember, this is Ascension Seton that is funded by the Vatican. Mm-hmm. So now Texas took the medical, basically took Brackenridge and shoved it right in the middle of the UT Athletics complex. Well, Ascension is going to build a high rise and have retail shops. And uh, what? I mean, it's like, good God, uh, could we have created a better sweetheart deal for Seton? Um, it's amazing to me that St. David's still has the hospital sponsorship for UT Athletics. Uh, yeah. But they probably should because Seton's gotten everything else. All right, there's my political rant. <laughs> But they got no replacement costs for the Irwin Center or the dual or the uh, Cooley basketball practice pavilion. Now, Del Conte has to come up with sixty million for the new women's men's basketball practice facility. And from what I hear, it's going to be a four-story palace that basketball is going to have the coaches' offices in it, the the overlook downtown and the tower and. And, oh, by the way, they found, you know, some some space for rowing to have all their rowing machines in there. So it's it's yeah. very much a basketball men's and women's basketball palace and the coaches offices and a cafeteria and training, you know, weight room, everything. It's going to be amazing. Um, and, oh, by the way, rowing has like half of one floor. But. Oh, OK, yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, hey. Hey, That's they got something call. though, right? <laughs> right. Other, hey, some days you can't go down to Town Lake and and row in the water. Exactly. You're just gonna get on your machines and and put in some time. So it's gonna be great and it's amazing that it's gonna be done uh, June. Taylor, right now everything will be done June 2022. And when you roll up to the UT campus, you're not gonna be able to move. You're not gonna be able to get anywhere on that campus because Red River <laughs> shut down. And all the streets you've known are about to be blocked off. But it is going to be gorgeous if you can get to it. Yeah. Well, when we met with the coordinators, um, 
you know, earlier this month and the new coaches when Texas made them available to the local media, uh, it was kind of funny because Jeff and I, Jeff Howe and I from Horse 24-7 kind of put together our, our plan for what we were going to write from that. And I kid you not, Chip, I left the Brazos garage on MLK and sat through, I think, eight or nine light cycles at Red River and MLK before I just said, screw it, I'm going straight through. I'm going another way to, to try instead of trying to get on I-35 there. I mean, it was ridiculous. It took me an hour and a half to get home and traffic wasn't even that bad. It was just there over by campus. So uh, Texas fans will need to be prepared for that to get worse because leaving there at four o'clock was I mean, I was just like, is this this where I die? This is this is the end of it. Like, I'm not I'm not moving. And I'm sitting, I think I was on the phone with you. I was like, dude, this is pissing me off. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Know? And I'll give Del Conte credit at the town hall meeting. He said it's going to get worse before it gets better. And you just need to know that this football season is going to be a cluster, like <laughs> yeah. a cluster, because I mean, heck, uh. the football team is in a locker room that was built in the 50s. Right. The visiting visiting locker room is even worse than I mean, they're in what used to be the visiting locker room. The visiting teams are going to be in a locker room that used to be a storage unit. So it's I mean, they're going backwards, way backwards this year before going forwards. But again, for the 2021 football season, DKR is going to be a palace. Oh, gosh. Parking will still be a nightmare. Yeah. The good news is at least Adam James is not um, going to be in that visitor's locker room, the new nice. one, because he may try to claim nice it call. that he's put into a storage closet, right? <laughs> Did you see that Mike Leach E60 or something? Do what? Did you see the Mike Leach E60 that they that came out this week? I did not see that, no. I mean, yeah, I, I read they... his book, Swing Your Sword. I read that book yeah. um, a number of yeah. years ago, but I didn't see the E60. Nice, nice call there. Nice Adam James uh, reference. Hey. Got to keep you on your toes a little bit there. Yeah, good. <laughs> that was good. So talk, all right, talking a little bit more about football, Chip, you wrote a story. Where you're kind of doing a countdown preview over at horns247.com. And if you're not a member, definitely want to join, um, especially right now with, with kind of being up in the air with what's going to happen with Texas basketball program. Texas baseball is off to a hot start, 8-0 start to the season. And then spring football starting at March 24th. So definitely go on over to Horns 24-7 and sign up for an annual membership so you can get all of the latest news on all Texas sports um, provided to you in a timely, up-to-the-minute type of t- um, time there. But with uh, before spring football starts, Chip, you're doing a preview of um, some different positions, some players who need to step up, some coaches who definitely need to step up too with seven new assistants on Tom Herman's staff, you wrote one Monday on the receivers and how Texas is looking to fill the void for losing Devin DuVernay and losing Colin Johnson, who accounted for 12 touchdowns combined. And, you know, Devin DuVernay, 106 receptions for um, almost 1,400 receiving yards during his senior year. Now all eyes are kind of right now on Brennan Eagles and Jake Smith, in addition to new receivers coach Andre Coleman, who is going to be tasked with making sure these receivers are able to run the offense that Tom Herman and Mike Yersich will be instilling this next season. But give me your thoughts on what you think that Brennan Eagles and Jake Smith, in addition to Andre Coleman, really need to do to step up and fill those voids left from DuVernay and Colin Johnson. Well, it was really interesting because 
when was the last time Texas had two um, returning receivers who were not the leading receivers who each had six touchdown catches? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Colin Johnson only had three touchdown catches last year. And, and of course, Devin Duvernay had nine. Yeah, so they combined and for so, I mean, Jake Smith and Brennan Eagles had as many combined touchdowns as Devin Duvernay and Colin Johnson. But when I asked Andre Coleman about that, saying, hey, you got guys coming back with skins on the wall, he was not hearing it. He was like, I don't care about touchdowns. I care about fundamentals. I care about detail, attention to detail. I care about if I tell you the routes at 15, it's not 13. Right. And it was very interesting. I mean, it. It, it was very much, and look, Andre Coleman played receiver at K-State for Bill Snyder, one of the masters of attention to detail and discipline. Mm-hmm. And he coached guys like Tyler Lockett and Curry Sexton, who were not big-time recruits, who ended up being hugely productive in college. And Tyler Lockett is the all-time leading receiver in K-State football history, and now he's killing it for the Seahawks. And he's not a prototype at all. He's an undersized guy, big heart, attention to detail. It's clear that Andre Coleman is, is bringing that to the receiver position. And I think it's great because he's going to take these high-end recruits. I mean, Jake Smith, you know, five-star. Brennan Eagles was a five-star at one point. And... I'll defer to Rochi on all the recruiting rankings and, and to you also, Taylor. Uh, you, you cover that world more than I do. But And then Jordan Whittington. You know, Jordan Whittington, I didn't really include him in the headline because Brennan Eagles and Jake Smith played last year at receiver right. and are the top two returning receivers and each had six touchdown catches. Jordan Whittington is this, like, incredible lump of clay that we don't know if just exactly what he is yet, we just know he's got a ton of dog in him and he's a grown man and he's a physical specimen who we hope is healthy. Finally, after the sports hernia nightmare, he found himself in last year, including two surgeries, but everything, all indications are he's going, going, going that he's going to be good to go. And he is, you know, going to play in the slot. In addition to playing some running back and being a sort of, Swiss army knife. So I'm excited. I mean, I, I think Andre Coleman's the right guy. Everything I'm hearing from my sources is that Coleman is tough, but fair and isn't putting up with anything. And last year there was drama in the receiver room and they don't need any more drama. Those diva positions like, you know, corner and receiver, you got to have guys that can, who can calm it down, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Coleman is that. Yeah, I could definitely agree with that. And, you know, when I was able to talk to Coleman um, earlier in February, he talked a lot about the attention to detail. And that was one of the biggest things I asked him specifically. What was one of the, you know, with working under Bill Snyder, you know, coaching under Bill Snyder, playing under Bill Snyder, who, in my opinion, is going to go down as one of the best college football coaches 
in history, and it's going to take a lot for people to change my mind just to see what he did at Kansas State with the limited amount amount of talent available to him is absolutely incredible. I mean, I, I will forever, you know, be a, a fan of Bill Snyder and the leader of the Bill Snyder fan club because of what he did at Kansas State. But, you know, I did ask him, you know, working for a legendary type of coach like that, playing for a legendary coach, what what's the biggest thing that people need to know about how Bill Snyder helped mold your career. And he said it's all about details. Every single thing, every single thing that he does every single day is about focusing on the details, making sure that you're not, you know, doing stupid things that aren't going to basically um, turn into something successful on the football field. And that's why Bill Snyder's teams were always so disciplined. I mean, my gosh, like they were, it was rare for, you know, they were one of the least penalized teams in the Big 12 for I can't even tell you how many seasons that I covered te- since I started covering Texas. That was always the stat. Oh, the least big, you know, penalized team in the Big 12. So I do think that Andre Coleman kind of having that disciplinary type of background is going to help. Because as you mentioned, Chip, yeah, there was there was um, a lot of, you know, issues in the receiver room last year. And I know some people blamed that on the coach from everything that, you know, we had hearing it was not on. Drew Maringer. It was not Drew Maringer's problem. There was a lot of egos in that room. There was a lot of guys that thought they should be playing more than they were actually getting um, to see the field. You know, they should have been um, a bigger, you know, had a bigger role in the offense, all of that. But you have to prove yourself. And um, I I liked hearing your quote about talk when um, in your story, you said that Coleman, his quote was he was one of those type of, you know, elite players and he goes, that diva stuff isn't going to fly. And I like that. I think that's exactly what that receiver ne- room needs right now. Yeah. Yep. He's like, I was one of them. I'm, I'm not, that stuff's not going to fly with me. Yeah. And that's awesome. I mean, I think that that's absolutely what needs to happen. Um, now, Chip, let's go to a question here. So this is kind of on the same topic here. This is a question from Indo Horn. And he asks, do you see Jake Smith having similar numbers to Devin DuVernay in the slot this year? So this is going to be really fun to watch because if Jordan Whittington is in the slot and Jake Smith is in the slot, and I trust Mike Yersich to figure out ways to use both of them, maybe in a, you know, a set that starts off as a three receiver, um, one back set, and Whittington flexes in into the fourth receiver um, in the slot opposite Jake Smith. There's going to be a lot of creativity and flexibility. Here's my philosophy on this. Jordan Whittington, to me, is a beast. Just watching his production in high school, watching that for a title game when he was at Cuero, when he broke Eric Dickerson's you know, state title game rushing record with 329 yards rushing, and the production, and Jake Smith and his production – I don't see either one of those guys getting to the numbers that Devin Duvernay had because I think they're going to split it. Um, now, if one just is so far superior to the other, maybe, but I don't see that happening. I see both of them getting a lot of catches and kind of splitting what Duvernay did last year. So I'm in. I'm of the belief that you could have three really – productive receivers, maybe four, depending on who emerges, 
you know, a lot of expectation for Josh Moore, but he hasn't even been cleared to, you know, he has, he does, his legal troubles aren't completely behind him. Right. But just based on what Eagles and Jake Smith did last year and my blind faith belief in Jordan Whittington based on what everyone, all my sources are telling me, players telling me their respect for this guy. I think those three could all put up 60 catch seasons as opposed to Devin DuVernay's 106 catch season and Colin Johnson's, you know, 35 catch season. Now he only played seven games. So that's a, those are kind of messed up numbers. The year before he had 70 catches and was almost at a thousand yards. So, you know, I, I just see the numbers sort of being split up amongst those three, the big numbers being split up amongst those three. Okay. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think with how you mentioned, you know, Jordan Whittington kind of being that Swiss army knife, you don't really know what you're going, where he's going to be lining up each week. So I definitely agree with that. But, you know, we'll, uh, we'll get to another question here after we have our special guest who is joining us now, uh, former Texas men's basketball player, Brad Buckman joins the flagship podcast. Brad Buckman, member of the 2003 Texas final four team. Uh, that went to New Orleans and just, uh, you know, part of that golden age, Brad, of Texas Longhorns athletics. I mean, it's like, I mean, you probably don't even recognize Texas athletics anymore. Yeah, it, you know, honestly, what surprised me was, uh, and I'm sure everybody knows this, the TCU game at home um, was something that uh, kind of shocked me a bit. And it's a lot different than when we would play a Big 12 team, but ne- nevertheless, I mean, it's just, Unfortunately, um, where our fans are at this point with uh, the type of basketball that's on display at this uh, at this current time. Yeah, I mean, it's it is night and day difference. I've covered the program 28 years. Um, the attendance at men's games is now less than what the women used to get, and they're exhausted. But um, we're, we're talking on on Monday on excuse me, on Tuesday and last night, Texas takes on West Virginia. This is, um, you know, a ranked opponent who beat Texas by 38 back in January. And without Jericho Sims, without Jace Febris, with Kamaka Hepa out with strep throat, they unleashed the Westlake Mafia. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun to watch, man. I, uh, I'm a big fan of Brock's and, and, and obviously Will Baker's had his moments here and there through the season, but Brock is one of my, uh, one of the guys that I, I kind of mentioned to Mike Morrell early on, who was the, uh, Mike was the previous assistant coach there. And, and I just liked his, his grit. Um, he's one of those players that's not afraid of anything and, and is willing to, uh, get his, uh, get his body, um, beat up just to kind of fight for an extra rebound. I mean, you, you saw it in the, in the last three minutes of the game, Brock came up with two huge rebounds. Um, Huge. And that's just this is the stuff that he does well. Um, he hasn't really had much time in the games to showcase himself. So, um, but when he's in there, you know, I'm, I'm proud of him. I, I think through a long two years at, at UT, he's um, kind of sat by and, and watched a bit. But you know, he's a kid that he's willing to go through the dirty work and, and find uh, and find spots to where he can help uh, redefine uh, the, the, where the team's going. Well, and we're talking to Brad Buckman, who of course uh, went to Westlake. And and was part of that 2003 Final Four team uh, at Texas, and 
you know, it's it's been confounding um, on the radio morning radio show I do in Austin on AM 1300 The Zone. Um, you tell your friends and enemies, you know, iHeartRadio app. <laughs> um, I've been saying all year because Shaka said it. Shaka said going into the season, the guy who's been the best in practice in terms of energy and defense has been Brock Cunningham. And so we've been waiting. Yeah. Waiting because there's a there's a role for him on that floor. And I don't need five guys trying to score. I need three guys trying to score in different ways. And I need a couple of facilitators and, and maybe one Dennis Rodman type guy. And that's that's Brock. And you said it in the final three minutes of the West Virginia game. He comes up with two huge offensive rebounds that base and a, and a block shot. Yeah, that basically seal the win. I mean, Texas has lost these games in the final four minutes and they finally showed the grit and the toughness in the final four minutes to win a game that just might keep their NCAA tournament hopes alive on life support. But I mean, that Brad, that's what you were talking about. You you tell me you, you lived it. You went to the final four. What there's a role for him, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think when, when Rick was a coach and, and we had shoot, we had 12, 15 guys on the team that at any point, you know, as you saw, Rick would, would, would replace you pretty quick. And you knew the guy right behind you was going to go and replace you and, and potentially bring more energy. Like you mentioned before, like they have five scores, which undoubtedly they have some pretty good talented scores out there, but you don't need five scores. You need, like you said, three good scores and then two guys that do the dirty work. I mean, like as we've seen the season go on, we had we don't make all our shots, and we don't make all our shots. We fail to find an offense. So when you got guys on the court that are that are willing to put their body on the line and and change the game with their energy, with their toughness, I mean, it it, it really breeds the other players just to start doing it that, uh, themselves because they'll end up finding their shot eventually. But those intangibles, like those players, can be on the court to do the things that you know you know find rebounds or or make a hard foul or. Uh, do a steal or block shot. Those things really kind of get the momentum or can change the momentum really and get get your shots to fall again and, you know, kind of breathe some life back into the offense. Yeah, I mean, you – look, Rick Barnes, no one was willing to sacrifice offense no. for defense yeah. like Rick Barnes. I mean, he said, listen, don't ask me about what kind of offense we run. Our defense will set up our offense. And you had a guy like Royale Ivy. Oh, yeah. Who – I think he was, fresh- fearless, he was our fearless leader, man. He averaged two points a game his freshman year, but he now if you wear 24 at Texas, you're the defensive stopper. I mean, talk about the role that he had when you were playing. Well, he was a guy that, you know, when we couldn't make a shot or we needed a defensive stop, like, or we were going, we were, our direction was going bad. We were, we were just weren't, we didn't have to find our float. Royale was there to we call timeout. And he looked everybody in the face and said, do your job. And basically, that was it. Like, we knew Brandon Mouton was a scorer. We knew TJ was a facilitator. And, and, and we had the pieces uh, that we could put together that James Thomas could find a massive rebound. Or, you know, I could go out there and, and mix it up a little bit. Klotz could come off the bench. Brian Bodock could hit a big three. Um, I mean, we, did, we just knew our roles on the team. And our roles complemented each other. Whether it be Roy Alcom with a big steal and, and TJ making it into a great offensive play or whatever it may be, man, well, we fed off each other. And when when the going got tough, we found a way to dig deep and look at each other and assess the situation we're in. And we went and found uh, reasons and, and, and ways to score 
and ways to kind of get a big big defense to stop. I mean, like we, I don't think there's any defined roles on the team right now, and you can kind of see it. I mean, I think you know between Andrew Jones and and um, oh, Courtney the, Ramey, uh, Courtney Ramey, those guys can hit big shots, but they're not going to fall every time. So there's there's guys that's got to kind of supplement the offense in ways that that these the other shooters can't. Yeah, I mean, you just said it. Uh, I mean, James Thomas wasn't going to hit anything outside of two feet. And, mm-hmm. and Royale was not – I mean, he became a better shooter, but you were a scorer. TJ was going to yeah. be able to break people down, and Mouton could hit from anywhere on the floor. There's your three guys scoring in different ways. You got your rebounder in James Thomas, and then you got your perimeter defender in Royale. I mean, it's stunning to me that Shaka hasn't defined those roles, and especially when the team was reeling. I mean, yeah, when it was – when the season was coming apart and they're going through some of these horrific losses, like the 30 point loss at Iowa state, they, they didn't change things up enough. And, and now, and I don't want to beat a dead horse because everybody knows it's been a rough year. And now they got Jericho Sims out indefinitely. They got Jace Febris out indefinitely with these lower back injuries, but okay. What do you see? Because if Texas goes three and one, in their next four games, Brad, I mean, they got to go. They're probably going to lose to Tech in Lubbock. Then they got to go to Norman, play OU, and then they get Oklahoma State here. And then they probably got to win a game in the Big 12 tournament. They're at 20 wins and 9 and 9 in the conference. I don't know. I, you know, it's tough, man. I mean, those, those tough defeats, uh, you know, uh, were tough. Being, yeah, we're tough. They were chalk line. Yeah, I don't know how the uh, the 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 um, defining um, uh, people are going to try to figure out who's going to be in, but you know, it, they're like you said, we're on life support at the moment. I would love for more than anything to us for us to get in the tournament. Um, obviously, that's that's um, that's something we should be doing on a, uh, a yearly basis. But you know, I, if we can pull out, you know, like you said, a couple more wins and then have a hell of a a big 12 tournament, we have a chance, but, um, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, we've come on late with three back-to-back wins, but you know, is it, is it too late? That's the question mark. But you know, with, with our, with the bat, the style we're playing right now, um, if we can continue to, to, to go down to the wire in the last four minutes and pull out a win, I mean, if anything, there's something, it's something to build on. Um, but you know, I, unfortunately it may, it may be too much too late. Yeah. And I've, I've, I'm on the record. I've said, I, I was on. I was done with Shaka after the 11 and 22 season because it just felt too big for him. It 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 felt like he was trying to reinvent himself. He left havoc at VCU. He was trying to recruit big men and coach half court offense, and and it just felt like he didn't know how to do that. And yeah. and and so you know we'll see. Chris Del Conte has some tough decisions because. Um, you know, the women's program isn't doing what it used to do. And mm-hmm. there's a $388 million basketball arena being built right yeah. now. You know? Yeah, I mean, and that's something that's that, that basketball can build on. I mean, whether it be Shaka, whether it be a new coach. I mean, having a brand-new arena, uh, a brand-new facility, you know, brand-new energy in a, different, in a different gym. I mean, there needs to be something that's more powerful than the coach to be able to bring the fans back to the arena bring the buzz back, bring the excitement back. I mean, you know, I'm, like you said, Chris Conte has got a lot to, to figure out in the next couple of years. There's a few coaches that are coming online uh, here as of recent. And so, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we're, we're Texas and we always figure out a way, but 
you know, I think with when it comes to football and and basketball and our sports in general, I think we've kind of hit a hit a hit a slow, hit a low point in our in our in our um, in our time right now. And I think you know at this point we've got to figure out uh, where, what what we can do next. Take me back to that first decade in the in the two thousands, Brad. You're on campus. Football wins the national championship in 05, Goes to you know wait beats Michigan in the Rose Bowl in 04. You're in the final four. You're going to Elite Eights. I mean, baseball's winning two national championships. Yeah. Take me back and, you know, the women went to the Final Four the same, yep, same, same, year. same yeah. year that you did. So what was it like then? What what was the culture at Texas like? And why was that the golden era of Texas mm-hmm. athletics? Well, you look, I mean, I, I think the fans that went to school, or the students that went to school, the fans that were around during that time. I mean, it was just a different culture. Everybody knew and everybody expected us to be great. And we, and we backed it up. I mean, you know, more often than not, we were in the, the magazines being the top school in, in, in the country. Um, we had player Naismith player of the year. We had the, uh, you know, Vince Young being who he was. I mean, we, we, people expect, people feared us. And that was the greatest thing is, is knowing that every day we had a game that it was going to be packed. I'll never forget. We had Kansas at home walking into having breakfast before our game and the arena was sold out. There was people camping out for tickets. People with tents at the urban center camping out for games. And it was just like, Holy cow. Like we've made it. Like we, we became a football school and a basketball school. And well, we created it. We created a culture where people wanted to go to Texas People uh, loved what we were doing there, and the fans were the most incredible at that time. And it was just, it was, it was really cool because you know I had an opportunity to go to uh, Kansas or Carolina, and both uh, obviously great basketball schools. Um, and I wanted to to be a part of a, a of an era that changed um, UT athletics. And 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 for that for those ten years from 2000 to 2010, it was probably one of the strongest years to witness and to be a part of if you were a student or an athlete. Well, I'll never forget because I had just left to go up to Dallas to cover the Cowboys. And and I went up there in, in 2000 and Barnes called me at my house in Dallas. And he's like, man, I got to get this Buckman kid. <laughs> you know, if I can get him, I think I think we're going to have the pieces to the puzzle. I think I've told you this story before, but yeah. but, you know, Talk, take me through that that decision that you had, Kansas, Carolina, and what was Barnes telling you, and and that that you know helped tip it over the edge for Texas. Well, I, I think the 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 one thing that that Rick kept hit, uh, hammering home is that you know this is this is your hometown. I mean, you're you're the hometown kid. Your family can go to every game, and you know it, it was interesting because he knew that I was a ball boy. He knew my dad grew up around Tom Penders, and you know I, I grew up around the program. So he just kept hitting it home, and and it really was true. I mean. You know, I ended up going in between uh, Carolina and Texas. I mean, if 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 you've never been on a on a, on a Carolina campus during a game day uh, or the March or the uh, Midnight Madness, I mean, it is a it is a sight to see. I mean, it, it's it's basketball heaven. I mean, so so to turn down the Carolina blue and and the Jordan brand and and the the rafter the jerseys hang on the rafters was was a very difficult decision. But in my mind, uh, especially in my heart. I knew Texas was always going to be there for me and, and, um, and watching, uh, that program shift in 2001 when they went to the sweet 16, I just knew that between James Thomas, between Desmond Erskine, between TJ Ford, I mean, uh, Terrell Ross, between Brandon Mouton, Jason Koch, Brian Boddicker, 
those guys wanted to win and they wanted to be the best. And I knew I want to be around people in, in, in a program that was willing to put money behind these players. And that's hell. That's when we built the, uh, the new practice facility. I yep. knew we had the momentum to be something special. And I think that's what really kind of uh, bought me into where Texas was at that time. If you could give advice to Shaka about what it's going to take, because I've said I, I'm looking for a, a culture of toughness and discipline. I have not seen it in five years under Shaka. If you could give him one piece of advice to help instill that, that culture of toughness and discipline that was prevalent when you were playing and across athletics at Texas, what would it be? Well, I'd say I say recruit guys that are that are, that are tough tough guys. I yeah. mean, guys that are gonna they're gonna start as a freshman, and 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 make the example at that age. Like I I came into a group of of, of upperclassmen. I mean, Royale, TJ, uh, Brandon right. Bouton, you're the, you're those, the guys, those guys. Yeah, I was so they already had it instilled in, in in their culture. Like this is what you're when you show up. This is what we expect. And so I knew day one when I get there, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I knew I had to fit into this culture. And sure enough, for every year I got older, sophomore, junior, I carried that legacy along with me. And, and I carry it down to the, the, the underclassmen that were, that were following. So, I mean, when Mike Williams and, and uh, LaMarcus Aldridge and P.J. Tucker, they all knew when they showed up on campus, practice was going to be hell, but you practice how you play. And Rick always instilled that us. So every practice was like a game to us. So we knew every every practice we 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 had that we were going to get better. And if if practice practice was hard, we knew a game could, was not going to be harder because we already been through it. So he uh, he helped raise us from 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 freshman year to year senior, what it takes to be re- to be great and also to pass that down to the, the generations behind us. And we talk about this. And there's, you know, there's talk that they're going to have uh, a one-time transfer rule where you don't have to sit out. And that's going to really, really place an importance on a coach's ability to be tough and, de- and demanding, but also let the players know you care so that, that, Absolutely. They'll, so that they'll stay and, with it. And to find the leaders from the get-go. Like find two or three guys that believe in, in you and believe in your system and believe in, in – in, and, and making everybody better around them. I mean, define your roles. Like, it, it, you know, when you show up at the campus, like, all right, Brock, I want you to be the, the fearless guy who goes in and sets, sets hard screens and grabs rebounds. Or, or Andrew, I, I, I want you to be the scorer. I want you to be able to, like, pick up guys when, when they're not doing well. Just find, find a few guys that, that have bought into your system and can help facilitate you as a coach and bring these teams together. Because it's a long season, man. It's a roller coaster. As you can see, we've had a long, tough, early season but now we're just coming together which obviously may be too late but you know instill that in these kids early and and let them know that when you get on this campus this is what we expect and just to kind of carry that forward and when you know how did Barnes do it because he was tough how did he how did he get it out of you how did and then how did he let you know he cared honestly I think it's the support system he had around us Todd Wright to this day was a, a saint to all of us. I mean, no matter how hard practice was uh, or how mad Rick got at you, you knew Todd had your back. You knew Russell Spreeman had your back. You, you, you had the pieces around them, around him to help. And I think that was the biggest thing because, you know, we, and we bought into each other. I mean, we went out every, we had, we had dinners with each other. I mean, 
our our days were from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. So we we spent a lot of time with each other, and we really enjoyed being around each other. So he created a culture to where when you get to that gym, you guys are going to get better, and you're actually going to enjoy being around each other. So, you know, between James um, and Royale and, and the upperclassmen, you know, they kind of just – they were there. I mean, we were in it to to want to win, and we knew we wanted to be great. And he just developed a culture um, that that basically – helped everybody get better okay i said this you tell me if i'm lying or telling the truth i said if rick barnes was the coach here and i'm not trying to be salty towards shaka but yeah if rick barnes was here brock cunningham would probably rarely come off the floor i mean he would have a role on the team yeah yeah absolutely i mean we all did i mean don't you think he'd be like a 20 minute a game player Absolutely. Well, you know, they're two different offenses, different, different styles of offense. Yeah. So really, do that size in general. I mean, uh, Shaka's a more run, you know, uh, you know, havoc defense. You know, Rick was more like it all starts inside and then it goes outside. I mean, it, if you look at our shots compared to the shots of this team in the last four or five years, they're way different. The way yeah. there's so many three pointers, uh, we we develop an inside game and. We developed a, a team back then where we wanted to get every rebound and we wanted to make every defensive stop and we wanted to control the energy of the game. But, you know, we, we just, we, we just, we're just two different sides of offense. And, 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 and so, you know, a big man in, in a system right now we have it is a lot different than what a big man would have it in, in Rick's system. So, you know, it's just two different offenses. So it's really hard to say, um, but you know, Rick was really, really uh, emphasized what it, how important it was to, to 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 start down low and then start moving outside. All right, tell everybody talking to Brad Buckman. Tell everybody what you're doing now. Everybody wants to know what <laughs> what Brad Buckman's up to now. So I, I had a, a great career in Europe. I got, I got finished up at, in 2014 in my last year in Turkey, and, and I decided to take about six eight months off to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. So right around February of 2015, I joined a company, a commercial real estate company here in town called Aquila Commercial, a local firm here in Austin. And uh, I've been doing uh, commercial real estate um, ever since. And I love it, man. I mean, to look out, I'm looking out my window right now of my office and all, our view is all of downtown and to see how big the city has become yeah. and how popular the city uh, is getting. It's incredible. And I, I chose a business. I love people. And my dad kind of kind of showed me the ropes being in the golf business for, for such a long time as I was growing up. And and the one thing that I absolutely do love is people, and I love people that have chose Austin as their home and, and have moved their offices and companies to this town because this town is is incredible um, from from the outdoor experiences to, to just being a, a weird town. I mean, I think everybody that's moved in has kind of accepted the culture for what it is, and to, to be able to have my hand in, in what's going on in town and, and, and be a part of Austin like I've always wanted to be, is it's incredible. So I've, I've been dabbling in the commercial real estate world, and I've absolutely loved it. All right, you married? We got any little Buckmans? I, I'm married. Unfortunately, we don't have any kids yet, but uh, it's not for lack of trying. My wife or I have been trying for a little while, so uh, hopefully uh, if, if, God, if the Lord's willing to provide us uh, some kiddos, that would be amazing because I would love to, to share my experiences growing up, and, and, uh, I, and my wife is incredible. So I, uh, I hit the jackpot with a wife, and, and uh, hopefully we'll be blessed with some kids here soon. Well, I saw y'all at, at Kirby Lane the other mm-hmm. day, and uh, – Always great to bump into you, man. You got a great spirit. You got a great attitude. Uh, there's, there's no, um, you know, there's no surprise that you were part of a Final Four team and and one of the greatest basketball memories that uh, that Texas has had here in the last 
50 years. So Absolutely. And I got to say, UT has provided me a lot uh, within the sports world and after sports. I mean, that's the one thing the University of University of Texas does well is they really do an exceptional job of helping their athletes out. And whether we're, we're, we're having a good season or a bad season, if you come to Texas, UT is a, is a family, it's a fraternity and, and, and they'll go out of the you got your way to help. So I, I've been very fortunate that I chose UT and, and the opportunities that have come my way after basketball, because at the end of the day, the ball will stop bouncing and you'll have to find your next move. And, and the University of Texas does a great job with facilitating whatever you need after basketball. Well, Brad, you're the man. Continued success for you, my friend. And uh, thank you, brother. Let's do I, it. I, as you're the same, man. I appreciate you having me on. And and once again, like I, like you mentioned, dude, it's it's been, it was great seeing you. And, and I wish you all the best as well. I appreciate it, Brad. Brad Buckman, there he is. Final Four, 2003. Remember those days? Let's dust off the uh, the, the uh, videos and remember that, that that's possible. That is possible. Yeah, absolutely. There's still a chance, man. <laughs> I haven't lost hope, and and. We, we have a great program. We have enough money to, to do whatever we can to, to be better. So uh, I, I, uh, I'm blessed to be a part of it. Well, you're a good man, and the flagship podcast will roll on. Good stuff with Brad Buckman. And, you know, Chip, I got to be honest. So he was a little bit before my time, but that was around the time that I was at Texas. And it's so interesting just to hear from a former player's perspective, you know, the fans used to be camping out at the Irwin Center, and now it's it's almost, you know, a viral story now that nobody shows up to these these uh, basketball games. And, you know, when football was so dominant when I was at Texas with, um, you know, Colt McCoy, I came in right after Vince Young and the 2005 uh, National Championship team, but just all, I feel like all three big sports were doing so well. So I kind of, I felt that a little bit in my soul when Brad Buckman was talking about how uh, the glory days, we'll call it um, our glory days of Texas sports. Oh man, you, you were lucky. Yeah. I mean, you got to experience the, the golden days. And I got to say, Brad Buckman, I didn't make a big deal out of it. Um, but his wife, Alexis Jones is quite the story in her own right. She was um, she was on Survivor, and she's written a book, a bestseller called I Am That Girl. And, I mean, she's amazingly talented and um, has come up with – has turned that book, I Am That Girl, into a nonprofit organization – whose main purpose is to to fight media perpetuated notions of perfectionism, you know, that that cause a lot of young girls and women to you know feel body shamed and and everything else. So, yeah. She is quite the story herself. So, really appreciate Brad Buckman um coming on with us and and all the best to him and Alexis and um good good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chip, let's close it out with um, this question. We got a question from Earl Thomas 12. And the question is, do you see BJ Foster having problems playing safety rather than nickel? Um, You know what? No, I I think BJ Foster probably loves playing safety a little bit more than he loves playing nickel. If, if, if I, if my memory serves correct, I remember talking to BJ about this and he said, you know, I can't quite get those big hits that I that I get at safety. 
right. um, at nickel because I'm closer to the line of scrimmage. I don't have as much time to run and hit, which I thought was interesting. Um, so I think he loves playing safety. I think he's going to be happy there. And look, that's that's fierce competition because we've heard Chris Ash talk about my man, my brother from another mother, Chris Brown, <laughs> who I've been telling y'all here on the flagship podcast and over at Horns247.com that NFL scouts love Chris Brown. I mean, this guy has speed. He has playmaking ability. He, he diagnoses really well. He gets to the ball. I think he's going to have a Kenny Vaccaro type year this year. And I think he's going to be hard to get off the field. But we know they need depth at safety. Caden Stearns has been hurt every year he's been at Texas. B.J. Foster has fought through injuries. DeMarvin Overshawn's moving up to Will linebacker. Some people have asked me, well, do you think B.J. Foster will end up at, at weak side linebacker as well? No, I don't. Because his frame is different from DeMarvin Overshawn's. DeMarvin's got a bigger frame. He can add weight easier than it is for B.J. Foster. Now, if if his body just develops, we've we've seen that. You know, Chris Whaley, he's my favorite example. Guy started off at running back, ended up playing defensive tackle. Henry Melton, same thing. If their bodies develop, they're not gonna they're not gonna keep him from eating. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. if his if he eats his way and his body develops like that, great. They'll move him, you know, to weak side linebacker. But I, I don't. I don't see a problem for B.J. Foster at safety, and they they should have a good rotation there, Taylor. I'm I'm excited to see what this defensive backfield is is gonna bring to the table. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're they're all one more year experience. That was something that Texas fans witnessed firsthand of what it's like to you know go from having two senior starters and Chris Boyd and Devontae Davis and to like at corner, for instance, and then going to two first year starters, and even with B.J. Foster and Caden Stearns coming off of that, their big true freshman campaign, you know, you just, there's obviously a lot of upside with this talent and the level of talent that Texas has in the secondary. It just, you know, you didn't see it at its best last season because these guys were so young, you know, they're still underclassmen and some of them, sure they played, but Deshaun Jameson, for instance, played offense his first year, you know, I mean, still to this day, he's not practiced a whole year. With the defense, still to this day, when the, when spring practice starts on March 24th, he that will mark one year since he started practicing with the defense at the college level. So I agree. I think that there's, you know, there's reason to be um, excited about the secondary, the talent that Texas has, both at corner and at safety, and uh, the return of Josh Thompson. I think is going to be something that people want to keep an eye out for. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I think this is going to be a special secondary, and um, if you know, Chris Ash and Jay may be touted as geniuses uh, working with the other coaching staff's talent, no doubt, I think, uh, just because of what they received when they took the job. That's good stuff. And I'm excited about Deshaun Jameson because that guy, all that guy does is make plays. And yeah. I mean, like you said, he, he, he's been a part-time defensive player at Texas. I can't wait to see him with a full off season and, and, uh, and what Chris Ash and, and Jay Valai are going to do with him. And thank you to Earl Thomas 12, to Indohorn. We actually pulled those questions from the mailbag. And I apologize. I, have, I, I don't mean to be a broken record. I've talked about moving my 83-year-old dad down from Michigan to Austin. And it's been rough because this was not something he was really excited about. 
And so it's been difficult to get him to change over some things like with regard to his health insurance and in a disability claim. And it has just messed up uh, my personal life here the last few weeks. So uh, we're going to get back on schedule with the mailbag. I promise. Don't give up on me. Uh, but you sure? thank you. I've been the one I've, cracking the whip I, on that. <laughs> Taylor. I owe Taylor a dinner. <laughs> her and her husband because they have, you know, good God. But um, thank you for your patience. Thank you too, Taylor, for your patience. Um, and we'll get this. We'll get this right. And uh, and thanks to everybody for for being a part of this one. Hope you had some fun. Hope you learned something. Great conversation with Brad Buckman. Again, all the best to him and his wife, Alexis Jones. Taylor, you're the absolute best. Look forward to this every week. And uh, hope everyone who's not a member at Horns247.com realizes that we are the best uh, college uh, athletics team site network, really providing the best college football, basketball coverage anywhere in the world. Um, and that is our mission, and we're on we're on course to get there. And so just get in now. Get an annual. Get in. Get all the VIP content at all the team sites so that you can be reading at LSU, uh, reading what's going on with the Tigers heading into that game September 12th. Um, you know what's going on with all your favorite college uh, football teams, basketball teams. We've got the best sites in the business. So um, thanks to everybody. Uh, for being a part of this one. And Taylor, have a great week. And everybody have a great week. We'll do it again on the Flagship Podcast next week.